Offscript with Super E recommends listener discretion as these real but sometimes uncensored stories can be filled with mature content. Hello everybody, Jay here with another episode of Offscript with Super E. As always, my good buddy A-Train. A-Train, say something from your palatial studio. Yeah, this is A-Train broadcasting from A-Train Studios. How is everybody? I'll bet they're great. And of course we have Super E from the Super E bunker that we understand today is your g- garage with a new kitty mama. Is that is that true? Uh, exactly. Uh, our neighbor's cat, our neighbor got a cat. He put her on the ground and she immediately darted over to our house with the other feral cats and she hasn't left. And now she's has kittens in my garage. Okay. D- D- Dwight from the office. Can you tell everybody what a feral cat is? <laughs> <laughs> a feral cat is, uh, a cat that you have no attachment or ties to shows up, sticks his paw out and demands food. That's a feral cat. <laughs> Oh, I, I dated a girl like that once, but <laughs> there you go. Right, right. Hey, d- Super E, does that make you feral? Because uh, you've been known to stick your hand out for food. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, you know, that's a reputation that was started by my mom. I don't like it to get around. <laughs> no, it's didn't, around, dude. <laughs> didn't Super E always pick up the tab at lunch? <laughs> uh, uh, negative. My pockets were a little too deep for me to reach the cab. <laughs> hey, he paid for it with entertainment. Yeah, you got exactly. that right. And he's still entertaining. And that's a really good uh, way to just segue right into it there, A-Train. So, Super E, tell us a tale. Well, this tale talks about a uh, prostitute that I had tried to get for a long time. She was one that was out on the street all the time. Tons of complaints against her. She was extremely smart. <clears throat> Because she heard about, you know, there's a long-haired guy out there with a beard, blah, blah, blah. And so I picked her up several times, and um, she just wasn't convinced that I would be okay to date sex for money. She thought, nah, danger here. He might be the police. So I would just let her out. This went on for about three months. And then one night. Me and my partner, Steve, Big Steve, um, we were out. It was middle of winter, below freezing. There was about four feet of snow on the ground. And we were checking uh, complaints of street prostitutes in the main area of the hot dog stand where we got most of our complaints. So they would even get out and roll around in the winter in the snow, even just right on the street. Oh, oh, Crack has no limits on its uh, addiction for people. It, it, could imper- be, it makes you impervious to cold and heat. Yes, yes. And um, it didn't matter. Ten feet of snow, they'd be out there. And so are the perverts looking for this uh, sex for money from the prostitutes. And I see this girl walking along. Now, remember, it's freezing. All I see is she's wearing a coat, but... She must have a short skirt on because all I see is long legs. So I told Steve, I go, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just going to see what it is. There's a girl with just a coat on. 
short dress and high heels in this freezing weather. So she jumps in and I recognize her. It's, um, it's summer. That was her name. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, she's going to recognize me or think she knows me and she's going to get out because my plan was play basketball right after we got done with this little investigation. I was going to head down to um, this gym that we went to and would play. So I'm dressed in my Kmart brand basketball shoes, sweatpants. I'm just wearing a wife beater. I got my Raiders jacket. I'm not wearing it, but it's just I had it on my backs. I had it on my seat, you know, kind of over my shoulders, kind of one of those things. Because, yeah, so like when you're uh, riding around in a car and it gets warm, it's I didn't want to be like John Candy and trains, planes, and automobiles off as I was driving. That's a that's one of the best scenes ever. Yeah, so I I would have it off me, so I'm just basically I have the wife beater on and the sweatpants. So she gets in the car, and she's looking around. She's looking me up and down and asking me a thousand questions, and then she says. Uh, are you sure you're not the police? I go, no. She goes, you got a driver's license? It was one of these things. And I said, yes. And I stupidly had my wallet in my console right between the two seats. Mm-hmm. So I just opened that console, pulled out my wallet, and showed her my fake ID. Mm-hmm. And then I threw it back in the console. I should have known better. She then said, you sure you're not, where would I hide a wire at? And I just pulled my wife beater up just above my eyes for like a second. And then in a flash, she reached into that console, grabbed the wallet, took my money out. It was about, and then she threw the, I didn't know this. She threw the wallet on the floor and kept the money. And then she shut the console without me even hearing it. Wow. So as soon as she did that, David Copperfield move. She goes, oh, just pull over and let me out here. And I'm like, wait a minute. This thing was going pretty well. For something ain't right. And I immediately looked, pulled the console open, saw my wallet gone. I was like, holy shit. She starts to get out of the car real quick. I reach up. I grab her coat. And she runs out of it. She's wearing, what do, you, what do they call it? Like a, a sundress. Something she'd wear in the summertime. Okay. There was, it was, it was like very sheer and skimpy. So now Easy I've got access. her coat. She, yeah, she runs out of those high heels. And so now she's barefoot in a sundress running from me in four feet of snow. Mm-hmm. Well, I immediately panic because I, you know, I think she's got my wallet. I jump out only in my wife beater in my sweatpants and my Kmart, uh, sky high tennis shoes or skyliners whatever they're called back then and i take off after and i reach down and i grab my gun and i got my gun in my hand and i'm chasing after we run around the house about four times she was pretty fast and as i'm catching up to her she runs up to what i guess is a dope dealer's house and she pounds on the door and she's screaming and right now i'm at the sidewalk and the door opens up, and this gigantic dude opens the door and looks at her. And she's like, Lawrence, let me in the house. This guy's going to kill me. Let me in the house. And so I'm walking up to the front door. And Lawrence, 
I think he was kind of a, a wise man, kind of smart. He looks at me walking up, only wearing a wife beater, sweatpants, very angry look on my face, snow all in mixed up in my hair because I've got now, you know, um, snow hanging from my hair and all this. And he's thinking, oh, my God, the abdominable snowmanson's coming my way with a gun. <laughs> did, did he say abdominal? Abdominal. Abdominal. He had one of those ab abductor things that used yes. to rock on back oh, yeah. in the day. So I, I walk right, I walk right up to the, you know, where he's, she's standing and he's standing with the door open. I walk right up. I, I'm on his porch. And I just held up my Glock as he's looking at me. And I pointed to it with my left hand. I said, it's a big gun. And he go, he looked at me and he studied that gun. And then he looked over at her. And she's going, please let me in the house. He's going to kill me. Well, those words ran off his back like duck on the water. He just looked at her, said, sorry, baby, and slowly <laughs> shut the door. Smart. Good job, Lawrence. And she was like, Shit. And I just looked at her and I said, now what? She reaches down and she sees this Fisher Price plastic, like little tricycle for like a two-year-old. She picks it up and she goes, I'm going to fuck you up. And I said, again, I point, lifted up my gun again. I have this big gun. You have a Fisher Price plastic toy. And she looked at it and she goes, damn it. And threw it on the ground. And she jumped off the porch and took off running. And I took off after her, but she was sprinting like Usain Bolt, barefoot in the snow with, you know, barely a dress on. And I'm starting to realize in my wife beater that I'm cold and freezing to death, but I got to get to my wallet because I thought she had it. And after her, we run about a block north on this street. She zooms, she zooms by a car that looks very familiar to me because it's my partner, Big Steve. And she runs by him, and then she darts between the house. I run up. I see it's Big Steve sitting in the car, nice and warm. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, what do you mean? I go, didn't you hear me talking about that I was in front pursuit of a Blonde female, tall, with just a dress, no coat. He goes, yeah, but, you know, I couldn't really see. Didn't know if it was you. Uh, how many other long-haired guys run around a wife beater and a gold Lumina? So anyways, he tells me he didn't correlate it because when he saw this blonde-haired girl just in a sundress, running up the street as fast as she could barefoot in the snow. He was like, Ooh, what do we got here? Ooh, la la. <laughs> and I was like, you moron, get on your radio and, you know, put out a description. So he did. And so we, we, me and him are, um, we take off looking for a few minutes later, the, uh, uniform guys, they immediately caught her at the liquor store. That was like a block northeast of us and that w when we race up there i guess she put up a fight because they had her handcuffed and the big fight ended up where she was laying in a, a big mud puddle oh poor son. And it was freezing and so i immediately said get an ambulance out here quick because you never know you know 
the one or die pneumonia. Right. So um, we get the ambulance out there and uh, we whisk her away and all this. And then I was I realized, man, I'm so to the bone and I'm I'm freezing to death, too. But anyways, I go back to my car because there, I got my money off her. But I said, where's my wallet? And he said, I don't know. Luckily, I found my wallet in my car. And, you know, so I dodged a bullet on that because one thing you don't want is your credit cards, your ID, and all your information out in the middle of the hood where crack is being sold. Yeah. That was that was the last thing I wanted. But I got luck I got lucky on that one. But so I got a question, Super E. So yeah. I mean, this does sound like a David Copperfield move. You're saying in the time that you pull your shirt up over your face, you she got in that console, got your wallet, and took that money out. And yes. And like I said, it's like, you know, it's not like I I pulled my uh wife beater up over my head and said, see, look, you can check me out. I just did it in the flash. Wow. And she reached in there, grabbed it without me even knowing it. And I was stubbed. But see, these girls were very crafty and smart, besides, of course, risking their life on a daily, nightly basis for crack cocaine, which in the end, unfortunately, um, poor Summer, bless her heart, she came to a tragic end. She ended up being murdered a few months after that. It was very tragic. Oh, man. And it was, it. well, I guess about four or five months later, somebody came to me and said, hey, you remember that prostitute you locked up? I said, yeah. They just found her body, if I remember correctly, they just found her body in a trunk of a vehicle. Somebody had murdered her, stuffed her in a trunk, left this vehicle in a parking lot, I'm sorry, in a driveway. Now the weather was warm. And after like four or five days, people were noticing a horrible odor coming from the trunk of a car. So Mm. they ended up opening it up and it was her. And what makes this even more tragic is she had an older sister that was also murdered too. Was she a prostitute as well? Yes, she was a prostitute as well. Uh, my partner Ron had locked her up, and I had, when he locked her up, I uh, helped, I backed him up on that, and so I knew who she was. In fact, when I was talking to uh, Summer about this, I was like, "Why are you doing this? Don't you know your sister was murdered?" And it's it's like it didn't have. Um, any bearing on her whatsoever of her behavior out there on the street. I was like, that doesn't matter. I got to get this crack a year or so after summer, uh, was murdered. I pick up another girl on the street, arrest her, get her name. She's the third sister. Um, who's out prostituting. And I told her, wait a minute, you're out here prostituting. And she goes, yeah, I, I, you know, this crack, I can't stop from smoking it. I got I to gotta, uh, do this to make money for it. I said, your two sisters were murdered because of this. And she goes, I know. You know, she goes, I don't want to tell you. I can't stop myself. Man. You know, so it was, it was, it's awful what goes out there 
goes on out there on the street. Man, did uh, do you have any idea um, of the circumstances on either one of their murders? Do you remember anything about that? Um, were they Johns that that killed them? I I I, I, uh, I really don't know. I know it was involving, I believe, drugs. Okay, and um, something about drugs, death, that kind of thing. Got it. Got it. Wow, that's. Uh, Man, that's tragic. Yes, it is. Good Lord. That reminds me kind of the one of our earlier episodes where uh, Super E was talking about the um, prostitute who was actually off the street, married, had a couple kids, her and her husband had bought a house, and, you know, that draw was just too much for her. She woke up one day and said, I'm going to go back and uh, walk the streets and smoke crack. I mean, mm-hmm. So I... I, I can't imagine something drawing you that much it's uh it's it's something that we you can't understand i would think unless you're going through it and that just goes again to say how much we really um feel for these people who are in these positions you know? yeah and and i know part of arresting them is to try to get them help to get some court ordered counseling or treatment or whatever that is i know that's the ultimate goal is to get them off of this right and i mean so what was the uh the the third sister um what was she the youngest do you know i believe she was the she was the youngest she was not much more than uh 18 and she was falling right in line of her, her older sister's behaviors i mean and just think about that so both of her big sisters were killed doing this stuff. And uh, it was just so powerful. She was, was willing to risk it. it yeah. That's really, really sad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, yeah. Jay, when you was in the sex crimes, did you, how many times did you find out that women were raped and beaten and then they just basically didn't want to file charges? Or anything like that. I mean, these girls were raped all the time. Yeah, that that did happen periodically. And then, you know, we did have the case that you and I kind of double teamed because the guy was raping prostitutes. And we went back several years on those cases and dug out files and found that. And I remember you and Big Steve would help me with one particular victim. She was while we're waiting trial where we're doing depositions and all the things we do with it, she's still out on the street. Right. And after this had happened. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And I would need her for, you know, a deposition or for trial or for a meeting or something. I would call super E. I'm like, okay, I need her name started with a B. I need B. Um, can you help me out? I'm like two thirty, my phone would ring. Hey, we got her. You need her. Yep. On my way, man. Now, Jay, was she the one that was walking the street with a colostomy bag on? After, yes. Um, If I recall, because she got cancer during all of this as well. Is that the one we're talking about? Yes, I believe so. And Big Steve told me that she was walking the street wearing a colostomy bag. Yep, that was her. That was her. She was among, we started with, uh, I think we found seven victims that this guy had uh, who were all prostitutes that he had raped 
And when we got the trial, we were down to three that could testify because of the tragedies. Man. Man. Exactly. Yep. But the shithead got 110 years. So we'll good. Yeah. Good, good job, Jay. Yeah. Man. System worked on that one. Yeah. Man. Well, okay. So Super E, you know, um, so this is a uh, an instance or a couple instances where these street prostitutes, you know, two of them got murdered. Um, we are going to do a, a separate podcast about um, another John who ended up being a serial killer, didn't he? Yes, he did. He uh, was a very uh, big, powerful man, and he 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 viewed po- prostitutes as the easiest target, but he also viewed them as just disposable. They don't matter. They don't count. They are just at ends to satisfy their perverted desires. And when they kill them, they don't think they've, it's like they just swatted a bug or something. So, um, and again, that's going to be, um, that might be our next podcast that we do talking about this, this serial killer. Um, do you remember how many, how many girls he killed? He was suspected in killing five, I believe. Okay. Suspected killing five, and then several of the women who survived um, identified him uh, for raping them. And one of them I uh, I knew that survived. She told me the most chilling tale of where she almost died at the hands of this man. But she was able to get away. She was she was able to give get away and and uh, tell it to me. And again, you know, it's like I, they were afraid to call the police and tell them, hey, this is what happened to me, because they, they think that people just look at him like, well, you deserve what you got. Well, that's not how police look at it. We look at him, you're a victim. You need to tell us this. But they're afraid. So when she called me, I was able to convince her, you need to tell the police about this. And she ended up cooperating. That's it, awesome. And that's also what we call a teaser for the exactly. next episode. Yes. So, you know what? That is going to be our next podcast, everybody. So, um, yeah, it, it is an interesting and tragic story. And, um, and that may or may not include a special call-in guest. Yes, it, it might. And, and who would that guest be, Jay? What? The boss man. The boss man. The boss man. All right. Yes, and uh, man, and, oh man! And he's uh, he was a sex crime detective that um, had several of these cases on this um, on this guy we're going to talk about. Is that right? That would be correct. Okay. And uh, okay. Super E and him, I think, worked kind of worked together on that one as well. Would that be correct, Super E? That is correct. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's begin to close this one out. Super E, do you have anything to take us out with the tale you just told? Uh, well, uh, basically, um, everybody has a value just because somebody's got issues doesn't mean, you know, we want to demean them or cast them aside, try to help them. Man, that's, that, that's perfect. Couldn't have been said better. And oftentimes it's the police that have that exact feeling about people that you just described. And sometimes, uh, we get cast off as not having feelings are caring and uh, I can guarantee you anybody that's doing this especially in the specialty positions like we all talk about you care 
When you, you do. Well, yeah, absolutely. A-Train, what do you think? Oh, wait a minute, Super, you got a thought. A-Train, take us out. Okay, well, thanks. Hey, wait a minute, that's my line. I know it's your <laughs> show, Super, yeah, yeah. but that's my <laughs> line. You know, don't, no. listen. <laughs> hey, Jay. Yes. Take us out. I'm going to let you do it, A-Train. That's your job. A-Train, okay. take us out of here. All right, everybody. We're going to... Uh, we're going to come back with uh, another one and hope you listen. Thanks. Thanks.